you know, the vast majority of SaaS paid on the network so far have been uh, for messages, for paid messages. And the thing is, is it doesn't have to be a lot. Like it's not like, or I'm not saying you have to charge, you know, $5 per message. It could be a cent, but that is enough to discourage a bot from messaging you. Vita today, we're bootstrapping this network by providing sets of tools and services and APIs that facilitate the instant settlement of communication via Lightning. You, you spin up a Lightning node, you get one channel in, and you can accept payments from 100 million Cash App users. I mean, that is an incredible innovation. Um, and it's one that, you know, thousands of Lightning developers are going to continue to build on. Adding, again, adding barriers and gates, you know, is a losing game. You know, you have to expand the pie for these creators and, and for the users as well by, you know, enabling new experiences that weren't otherwise possible before. Lyle Pratt is the founder and CEO of Vita, a platform for letting anyone monetize their time through paid messages, calls, or live streams. In our discussion, Lyle explained exactly how Vita works. We discussed the implications of inserting lightning payments into social media. What are the positives? What are the negatives? We also discussed Lyle's experience building on Lightning so far. What features would he like to see added to enhance Vita's capabilities? And we also discussed how we can help more people earn more Bitcoin. I've also added Lyle to today's show splits. So if you earn, if you learn something new today, the best way that you can show your support is by sending sats over the Lightning Network. You can use any podcasting 2.0 app. My favorite to use is Fountain. Quick shout out, today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard and next generation provider for Lightning Network infrastructure. And we will have more from Voltage later in the show. Lyle, welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk all things Vita today. Um, but before we get into exactly what you're building, why don't we start with a background on why you decided to build on Lightning and what you were doing beforehand? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess the summary of why I'm building on Lightning is I think that global communication needs trustless, real-time settlement. And Lightning is essentially the only technical solution capable of scaling to the, the needs of the world. Um, there's literally nothing out there that can do it. And that's why we're using lightning under the hood. Um, I came from a telecom background. My last company that I built was a telecom startup. Uh, it was acquired by the largest wholesale telecom network in the world by volumes. I worked for them for about five years and, uh, learned firsthand how valuable being able to settle uh, telecom in real time would be uh, in eliminating fraud and spam and a host of other issues. And uh, when the Lightning Network came out in 2018, it seemed like the, the obvious thing to do next. I couldn't really get it out of my mind. And uh, yeah, that kind of led me to Vita. How long did it take for, for you to go from learning about the Lightning Network to saying, I got to just jump right in and build Vita? <laughs> well, um, I kind of started tinkering, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, the first thing I built was a, a SIP proxy. I don't know if you got, you know what that is, but SIP is just a VoIP, you know, a voice and video protocol. Um, I built a SIP proxy that basically wouldn't work unless you paid it 
uh, Bitcoin over Lightning uh, and implemented SIP402. And in fact, um, uh, SIP402 is uh, SIP402 payment required, very similar to HTTP402 payment required. So it's just the response code in the protocol that says, hey, you got to pay me to use this. And um, that code still exists inside of Vita today. And, and in fact, all of the audio, video, and messaging and communications that happens, um, you know, uses SIP under the hood and implements SIP402. Um, it's kind of hard to tell, but, you know, eventually you'll be able to interconnect with the Vita network uh, using that protocol. And we're going to release standards for how you can implement it yourself so that other apps and protocols can, you know, trustlessly integrate and interconnect. Um, kind of a rabbit hole there, but yeah, yeah. that's the first so, thing I built. So this will be outside of Vita, right? Like if I have an app outside of Vita, I can use this SIP, SIP, is it SIP protocol uh, to mm -hmm. communicate with a user on Vita. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, it, even today, uh, it's kind of buried in settings, which you can configure a Vita account to forward to uh, any SIP destination and uh, register to a Vita account with any VoIP phone. So, like, I don't know if you, you know, like you got one of those old Polycom phones on your desk, or you got like a, you know, a, uh, a VoIP app, you know, on your on your, your mobile phone or something like that, that can actually register to Vita today and you can make and receive calls from that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been productized well, but that's definitely a, a piece of the vision. Very cool. So let's, let's give listeners a, a better understanding of the overall vision here. If that's one piece, well, what is Vita's mission? What are you guys trying to solve here? Because you have a few different products right now. Yeah, yeah. So um, the vision is to create an open access communications network, uh, communications platform, communications API, where spam doesn't exist. And, you know, those two things, open access and, and spam, uh, in most networks today go hand in hand because you, you know, you can't really provide an open access uh, without having spam. The only way to do it is to insert some sort of market uh, mechanism or some price mechanism to discourage or disincentivize uh, communication that nobody wants. Um, Vita today, we're bootstrapping this network by providing sets of tools and services and APIs that facilitate the instant settlement of communication via Lightning. And, um, you know, today this looks like paid audio, paid video uh, calls, messages, live streams, but later it will be a lot more. And, you know, I hope that Vita is broadly successful enough to serve as an example to the rest of the world and to the rest of communication apps and services of what is possible when your money no longer has velocity constraints, when you're not dealing with debt money anymore. And I hope that it serves as a conduit to introduce tons of people to Bitcoin and the Lightning Network in a, in a tangible way. I mean, um, it may seem a little weird that right now Vita is a, a link page product, you know, or has link page features and that it does so many consumer facing things. But, you know, if you think about it, it's not all that weird because every network needs a directory. Every network needs a discovery mechanism. And your Vita page just functions as your public page for, for finding you and your rate on the network, just like a, a paid phone book, but in a more... Uh, familiar and applicable, you know, format, um, you know, you can't just bootstrap 
a network with nothing. Uh, you know, if you build it, they will come isn't a real strategy. You have to have lots of nets that catch potential network participants by providing value and utility to real people. And, um, you know, basically what I'm saying is, is our vision for Vita is facing a classic chicken or the egg problem. Um, you know, it's, that's a very difficult problem to overcome when you're building a product. You, you can't, just build something and expect it to succeed. Uh, so our initial strategy is to build products and services for creators that let them pull their existing audiences onto the Vita network by providing tools that help them monetize those audiences. A lot of our upcoming features are focused on that, um, you know, including our plan to give every Vita user a virtual phone number, <laughs> you know, as, as one example. But plans later on down the line revolve around us letting people integrate with the network, build applications on the network, API products, um, all sorts of things like that. So that's the, you know, big 50,000 foot view. <laughs> nice. Now there have been a few attempts at building, um, I guess, paid messaging products in the past. I've seen, I remember, uh, I, I believe it was 21, 21.co or 21. Uh, they eventually spun out into earn.com. I think they were acquired by Coinbase. <laughs> Uh, there were a few of these ideas that were really promising and it was like, it felt like we were there and then it just didn't, it kind of just didn't like live up to that hype. Um, what yep. is it about Vita's architecture or Vita's technology today that makes this the right time to do, a, to build a product like this and to allow anyone to do paid messaging? Is it the lightning network? Is that, is that the big unlock? Is it something else? Like wh how do you think about like why some of these past iterations haven't succeeded and why Vita will? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, one that I thought about quite a bit, <laughs> you know, I think there's, you know, as with most things, there's a few uh, answers to this question. There's a few reasons why I think the most obvious reason why is that, you know, the, the early attempts were just too early. Uh, but today we have lots of examples of success of this model. Um, you know, uh, in some ways you could consider them competitors with, you know, what Vita is today, but I think that is a short lived thing. Uh, you know, today we have intro.com. We have uh, cameo, which now offers paid messaging um, in a way, you know, you could think of OnlyFans as a similar product paid, you know, paid communication. You know, these apps are succeeding in the market today and they're serving as a great validation of, you know, the concept of, paid communication, paid but open access communication. And Vita is trying to build similar tools that make this a standard and that make it easy for anyone to use or integrate. Like if you if you think about intro today, it's a gated website that has a review process for creating uh, an expert account. An expert account is just basically an account that can get paid. You know, we're we're not trying to do that. We're trying to build a network a set of standards that any app can integrate with. We're trying to build SIP 402 and HTTP 402. And that wasn't possible until the Lightning Network came around. That wasn't possible until instant settlement existed. Because without instant settlement, all these products are forced to become walled gardens and they don't look anything like networks. And if you don't have any kind of way to trustlessly interconnect, with a network for paid communication, then there is no network. There is no participants that 
you know, can pay each other directly and use the network services as network services. Uh, hope I'm making sense. But basically what this means is that, you know, there's a lot more features and more tools and, and more ways to interconnect coming, uh, more nets to capture network participants. It's probably a little hard to spot the difference at this point, but things will become more clear as we release these API products and services and make it easier for folks to programmatically uh, leverage and interconnect with our network. Interesting. Um, I want to I want to explore like the the use for payments in reducing spam, and maybe maybe one way to start this is why are payments the tool that you're trying to use to cut out spam? Are there are there other tools? Are there social measures that could be used instead? What makes money the right tool for this job, I guess? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, there are social measures, you know, to reduce spam. That's essentially how all of the, you know, the apps work today, right? Um, it's just that if you want public accessible uh, communication, in other words, if you want to be able to be reached by someone you don't know without an intro, which is a social connection, then mm -hmm. you have no way to filter who is serious and who is a bot. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think there is a better way uh, than a market pricing mechanism. Um, and the thing is, is it doesn't have to be a lot. Like it's not like I'm not saying you have to charge you know five dollars per message. It could be a cent. But that is enough to discourage a bot from messaging you. Um, you know, so I think that is that's the you know my reasoning behind it. I think that you know there's a lot of ways to attack spam, but you know um, I think there needs to be a market pricing mechanism uh, to create signal from the noise. And you know, um, there's millions of applications out there for facilitating free communication and free access. I don't think they're going to go away. You know, I don't think that your mom is going to start messaging you, you know, paying to message you on Vita. But if you want to be contacted, you know, cold contacted by someone and you, you know, you're interested in receiving that type of communication or monetizing your time in that way, then Vita is going to provide tools to facilitate that. That's fascinating. I, it, just the idea of having a uh, market price for your time. I think right now that is such a foreign concept to so many people. Like they've been so used to giving it away for free on the internet that like, oh, my, my data is worth something. My time's worth something. No way. They almost don't believe it. How do you, how yeah. do you convince people to get on board with this? What are some of those like uh, challenges in getting people to recognize that their time is valuable. Maybe it's only a penny, maybe it's only 10 cents or a dollar or whatever, but that there is a value there in your time. Yeah, I mean, it looks different for different kinds of people. Um, you know, for creators, uh, you know, people are part of the creator economy. Um, it's kind of obvious because they're getting inundated by, uh, you know, unsolicited communication all the time. And so they're looking for tools um, you know, that help them separate the, the signal from the noise. For uh, people without such large followings, it is currently a more difficult sell, <laughs> you know, because um, it, for the reasons you, you know, you just said. Um, and I think it's a part, it's a, a part of the equation is creating tools that let you 
continue to receive communication from the people that you know you expect to receive communication from for example from people in your contact address book you know in your phone already like you expect them to just be able to call you uh, but for anyone else that tries to call you they you know they hit a, a paywall <laughs> that says hey if you really want to talk to me then you know you have to go through this mechanism and you know there are no solutions like that that exist today but it's a solution that could provide value to you know any number of people in the world mhm did you do you consider the value for value model at all in this process of figuring out like how to monetize time and if so like what was the what was the the downside of that value for value approach that that you know led you to this pay first uh model that you're using today um well i think that there's a lot of downsides for example when it comes to um well, let's take the the old earn.com model where you could request you could essentially request someone's time and you only paid if they sort of accepted your invitation right but what is that request the request is an email message hitting your inbox that requires your time and attention to decide if you even want to look at it right it's in a way it's a it's another form of unpaid unsolicited contact and that kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to build, which is, look, if you want to send me a message, if you want to distract me and make and, and have me look at it, then you know, you, there has to be a cost to do that. So if you're actually going to have an open access network that any other application can integrate with, you can't have these uh, gated payment flows. It has to happen at the time that the, the communication happens. I don't know if I'm specifically... Uh, answering your question about value for value. I mean, I'm a big fan of the value for value movement. I think Vita fits in to that movement uh, in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, I'm personally kind of excited about that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you foresee advertisers using Vita in this way where we're like, if, if I'm not a creator and if I don't necessarily have a lot of people requesting my time and, and you know, constantly being inundated with messages, um, maybe advertisers want to target me still, right? Like, is that something that that falls into the Vita vision here where an advertiser can reach out and say, hey, I would love to tell you about my new product for 15 cents. Take a look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's, I guess with the model that we're creating, I would say that it's impossible to exclude an advertiser willing to pay your rate, Right. Like if you're getting contacted too much, then you need to raise your rate, right? There, there is a market equilibrium for your time and attention. There is one for mine. There is one for, for everyone's. That's how markets work. Um, so yeah, I absolutely think that, you know, if Vita continues to grow and, you know, we have a lot of users that advertisers want to talk to, then advertisers will use it uh, in, in that way. I mean, you know, if you if you compare uh, a situation like you're trying, you're an enterprise sales guy, you're trying to contact uh, somebody to sell enterprise software to, and you're trying to target this guy that works in Cisco, you know, or something like that, old school enterprise software company, you know, you can spam them with LinkedIn ads and, you know, Facebook ads and try to sort of target them. But what if you could just call them and pay them a hundred bucks to talk to them? <laughs> you know, that would be that would be a totally economical and reasonable thing to do if the opportunity existed. 
but you know, there's about a thousand steps <laughs> that need to be taken before we get to that point. Um, and you know, we're on like step three. So <laughs> fair enough. Early days. Um, I, as I, as I think more about like what the world might look like if, you know, money is this, um, kind of gate separating people who don't know each other. Are there any negative, like social Im impacts here? Any, anything you're trying to like worry, you're worrying about or trying to avoid, uh, when designing this product? Cause part of me sees, you know, this is tremendously valuable where I can now monetize my time. And another part of me sees, is this going to change, you know, is this going to change the relationships I have with people? Because now it, it's so, it's a very transactional feeling like, you know, mm -hmm. you must pay X amount of dollars to get one second of my attention. Like what, how do you, how do you get around those, um, the feeling of being transactional and some of the consequences there? Yeah. I mean, you know, Honestly, I, I don't think too much about that. And here's the reason why. Because people are going to use the apps that they want to communicate with the people that they want to communicate with. And, you know, the, like I said before, there's already thousands of different messenger apps, you know, that you can use to talk to someone for free. That is the standard today, right? Um, if somebody has your contact information on one of those apps, they can, you know, they can contact you, they can spam you. And so what I'm trying to do is provide an alternative to replace the need for a formal introduction, to replace the need for a social introduction before someone can reach out to you. So, you know, as an example with, with Vita, let's say you're using the, you know, our Twitter bot that responds to your Twitter DMs and says, Hey, I don't often check my, uh, non-followed DM inbox uh, because I get so much spam. But if you want to get my attention, then you can message me, you know, here on Vita. There's nothing preventing you from switching over to Signal the moment you talk to them or accepting their, you know, Twitter uh, request. There's absolutely nothing preventing you from doing that. And I think a lot of users will, you know, use the product like that. Some other types of users where they are using the product for, you know, more transactional style services are going to have, you know, longer form conversations in it, or they're going to jump on a paid video call. Um, you know, our goal is to provide the tools and the network capabilities to facilitate those interactions and to not necessarily, you know, tell users how they should be interacting with, uh, you know, the various people they encounter. This is going to become even more true as we, you know, roll out more network level and API level services. Interesting. Now, you've talked about a couple of the use cases for messaging. Like if it's, I want, I want to connect with someone on, on LinkedIn or something, I don't want to spam them with a bunch of messages, or I, I'm trying to reach someone, maybe I don't even know who they are, uh, and I just really want to get in front of them. Are there any like edge cases that you think are going to be really cool use cases that people haven't really tuned into yet, or, or maybe unintuitive today? Yeah, um, you know, I, I guess I can talk about one of the features that, that we're testing with some streamers right now, and that is uh, paid messages that get overlaid on live streams on other platforms. So um, it, it, imagine you're streaming on Twitch and, you know, you want to offer your users a way to like do a paid Q&A or just, you know, interact with the stream in some way. And, you know, you want it more prominently 
uh, focused, uh, you know, prominently displayed on your stream. That's not like your typical sort of chat that gets embedded, you know, in your stream. Sometimes that just turns into, you know, a spam fest, like, <laughs> like everything else. Um, you know, so this is an example of a way to use Vita to allow your, your viewers on your Twitch streams to interact with your show. Um, and the way it works is we're going to have a, you know, an overlay, uh, that works with OBS and other streaming software. And when we detect that that overlay is being used, when somebody lands on your, uh, Vita page, it's going to say, Hey, post a message to the live stream, you know, cost X, Y, Z. And it's all, you know, we filter profanity for stuff. We filter for personally identifiable information, types of things you wouldn't want, you know, showing up on a live stream, but all that's built in, but it uses the same messaging uh, flow and API behind the scenes. Um, this is a good example of, you know, a way that we're going to let other people sort of ride on top of our functionality via APIs, but with the same sort of paid messaging flow. It's just a paid message that ends up somewhere slightly different than in your, you know, your normal inbox. Um, same type of flow is going to be used for audio and video. Like you'll be able to join a live stream via video or join via audio, kind of like you would in the old days when you call into a radio show, except it becomes a new monetization tool that any creator can use. And it benefits Vita because it pulls in existing creator audiences into the Vita network. Mm, I see. So in the example of the streamer, the, the stream is being paid for already, right? You're, you're streaming per minute. And then if you want to add in an additional comment or something like that, or a question, you can pay a flat fee for that, for that set by the creator, right? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Very interesting. Um, this brings up uh, something that I've been thinking about uh, with with this like shift we've had to remote work in the last couple of years. You remember, like in twenty twenty, every like conference shut down, and like every every uh, you know all, all these like business and networking events, um, which are like really high value, have just like disappeared. And there's yeah. been this like sometimes people do remote conferences and things like that, but they're it's it's still TBD, I think, how how those are going to be monetized. But this seems to be like a really compelling use case for that. Where you know, if I if I want to host a conference, I could do a remote conference, uh, invite anyone from all over the world, and uh, say, hey, you know, here's the fee. It's it's a dollar per minute or something. And if you right. want to tune in for all six hours of the conference day, well, it's what three hundred sixty dollars or something. Um, right. If you want to tune in for five minutes to listen to your favorite speaker, you know, that's $5. And it could be like, um, to, it strikes me as like, it could be a use case where Vita could like almost eat that conference budget that, that you know, it's a billion absolutely. dollar industry around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is a good example because it's one of many ways that one of the tools that Vita is providing, you know, can be used to monetize the time and attention of a new audience. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the use case that like you would think of to use, you know, the first time you land on, on Vita, but it's absolutely a use case that, that our software and our APIs and our network enables. And there's no reason why you can't use, you know, Vita to accomplish that. And it's like one of a thousand different, you know, use cases, you know, and I don't even know which ones are going to gain traction first. Uh, but by the way, if you're organizing a conference and want to talk about this, you know, hit me up on, on Vita because it's a great idea. Um, 
you know, but uh, this comes back to where we're trying to create a series of useful communication tools that let you monetize uh, any kind of real-time media, whether that's audio, video, messaging, or live streams. And, you know, as we open up our network level services and APIs, there's going to be all sorts of stuff like that built on our platform, entire products built on top of our platform that target niche use cases like that, that we may not be explicitly targeting ourselves, even though this is probably one we should. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and just, and then the ability to like split out payments too, um, I think could be really compelling where if, if I have a conference and I invite, you know, maybe there's 10 speakers that are showing up and participating during that day, can each of those 10 get a portion of the, the funds that get blasted through Vita? Is that, is that something Absolutely. that you think through? Yeah, um, that's been a pretty common request, like uh, the ability to split payments specifically on, uh, on streams. Uh, it's definitely something I want to do, but there are challenges related to split payments when it comes to facilitating it for non-custodial users. Um, you know, we haven't talked about this much on this podcast so far, but Vita, it's possible to connect your Vita account to your own Lightning node via LNBits. And it's possible to connect your Vita account to a Strike account so that any money you receive goes straight to your Strike account. Uh, you know, we're rolling out more integrations like that. I'm talking to the folks at Swan who are coming out with a cool API. Uh, we've already integrated with OpenNode. Uh, it's not available on the UI yet, but it is totally possible behind the scenes. Um, you know, and because we want to be able to integrate with other parts of the Lightning Network, whether that's another platform or just a wallet, um, it makes it hard to do things like split payments. Why? Because a split payment, unless you are willing to sit in the middle of, you know, a payment and then disperse it programmatically across all of the receivers. Um, it's, it's hard because the, the paying sender has to send, you know, however number of, however many number of uh, payments there are to the participants who are receiving them behind the scenes. In other words, there's no sort of native lightning way to take one payment and spew it across a whole bunch of different, you know, endpoints at fixed percentages. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that functionality right now would probably require you to use Vita custodially, which, you know, perhaps that's the decision you want to make. Uh, but I wish there was a way to facilitate things like that entirely non-custodially so that we didn't have to sit in the middle of those payments, um, you know, if either party didn't want us to. Right. So the plan is over time, is, is the plan over time to get to the point where Vita can be non-custodial and maybe maybe there's a couple of like, uh, technical requirements that need to be built into the Lightning protocol to enable that? Uh, for split payments specifically, I mean, Vita can be used non-custodial today. Um, you know, you can connect your Vita account to an LNBits uh, server that you're running alongside your node or, you know, Uncle Uncle Jim's LNBits server, <laughs> you know, as we like to say. Um, you know, and that's that's really cool because it means that any payments you send so let's imagine, you know, you have your account connected to Strike and I've got my account connected to LNBits. Whenever I send you a message or call you, uh, those payments are going straight to your Strike account for my node. Vita is not touching them at all. So that's really important. The same thing would be if you had an LNBits account. Our nodes would be, you know, sending those payments back and forth 
directly to one another. Vita doesn't have to touch the flow of those funds. Uh, so that means that like we don't have to enforce KYC restrictions on you if you're a non-custodial user. Um, you know, we're at the very beginnings of how this would work, but I hope that, you know, the technology continues to evolve such that, you know, it's easier to build applications like that. And it's more common to be able to connect an existing lightning wallet that you may have to a product or service. Although there are some, you know, technical challenge with challenges with building things like that today, unfortunately. Right. You know, one of the things that has been top of mind for me uh, lately has been, you know, how can payment splits be used for onboarding users and, and kind of like referrals, right? Like, I, I think one of the best, you know, web two referral marketing programs is, is with Amazon. And they have this, they had this program for a while. They had a, a 90 day cookie on your browser. So anything you bought went to you. And now I think it's 24 hours. Um, so if, if I send you an Amazon link with my code in it, anything you buy on Amazon, the next 24 hours gets credited to me, but there's still this issue of like, of a fiat payment processor you don't, you don't get a payout until you hit, you know, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever. It, it could be months from now. Um, and I, I think lightning kind of unlocks a lot of that capability. And, and you guys actually have a, a rewards program or a referral program. Uh, it, it's quite interesting. Can you, can you explain for listeners exactly how that works? Yeah. Um, well, I guess just talk about it broadly first. I mean, you know, <laughs> again, you know, we, we have a chicken or the egg problem, you know, we're trying to solve with our, with our product and, you know, you have to give people an incentive to join the network and to, to help grow the network. Um, and, you know, why? Because building a consumer network, a consumer app is, is hard, you know, so you need every advantage you can, you can possibly muster. Um, and so creating these, these incentives to encourage people to, to share Vita and to use Vita uh, is really important. And so we decided to build uh, an incentive mechanism like that directly into our product. Um, as a, as a first class citizen and we call it Vita partners and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, basically if you bring someone on the network and what do I mean by that? I mean, if somebody lands on your Vita page and signs up on your page or messages you first or calls you, you get credit for that person joining the network. You know, we also offer, you know, ref links and things that do set like a 30 day cookie if you want to use it that way. But it works out of the box by default. Like if you're the first person somebody contacts on the network, you get credit for them joining the network. So why does that matter? Basically, um, any of the spending or earning that that user does on the network in the future, you get a cut of that, um, a very significant cut. In fact, 100% of Vita's fees are dumped right back in to our partners program. In fact, the partners program is the reason why the fee structure exists <laughs> the way it does so that we have, you know, a, a funding mechanism that pays for itself, um, you know, to encourage the network to grow. Uh, so, yeah, it's built directly into the product. You know, there's a concept of tier one and tier two referrals. So you can get referrals of your referrals, um, you know, kind of like, a, you know, I hesitate to say this, but kind of like an MLM. Um and, you know, if you, it, it can be extremely valuable. I mean, imagine you're a creator, imagine you're a, 
you know, you're a Twitch streamer and um, you tell another Twitch streamer friend about Vita, about using our paid overlays. Well, you're going to get credit for bringing that that new creator on the platform and anything they earn going forward, you're going to get residual revenue from, you know, and it's funded by the audience of that creator. So, you know, you could really earn a significant amount of Bitcoin, uh, you know, by, by using the partner program in this way. And as you alluded to before, you know, the, the earnings are accrued into your account instantly and you can withdraw them at any time. You can see who exactly you're earning from, who exactly your tier one and tier two referrals are, you know, who is contributing the most to your rewards earnings. So all of that is built, you know, directly into the, the product. And um, that's also true for like future API and network level, um, you know, integrations that other people might build. If you build an app, let's use the conference, um, you know, the, the streaming conference use case as an example. Imagine you built an entire product to facilitate that use case for that market and you build it on top of the Vita network. You're going to be earning percentages of all the fees generated from that traffic directly into your app without having to do anything. Um, so it's built at the network level. Every single message, every single call, every single stream, you know, pays into this, this rewards pool. Very cool. I think the, the idea of, of lightning payments and being able to split everything up instantly is going to just unlock a ton of new experimentation in this affiliates or rewards system. Like it's really just, it's, it's a tool to just like your time has value, your introductions to new products also has value. Like, even if I'm like, you know, the first, if I share a Vita link and someone clicks on Vita for the first time, maybe there's a, maybe there's a small reward for that, right? You can like, you can incentivize these little tiny actions. Or if I get someone to follow Vita's Twitter account or, you know, these kind of things I imagine over time will be monetized in the same way where it's not just the person who gets someone to go all the way through the funnel to make a purchase or to sign up and, and pay on Vita. It's, it's every single person along that chain can now participate. If you somehow help some user get a little bit closer to being a Vita user, you could, you know, benefit right. from that. It, it, it absolutely looks like a lot of different um, possibilities there. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned one thing and this is something we've been testing, but you know, in your, on your Vita page, you can click on analytics and you can see stats like who has visited your page you know, how many unique views has your page received? You know, who's clicking on which links on your page? Um, and we have uh, experimented with essentially giving SATS rewards for every unique visitor that lands on your page. Um, you know, clearly, you know, there has to be some sort of constraints and restrictions. So, you, you know, you just don't get your page botted. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you, know you, you give it away for free. But um, I'm also really interested in, you know, in that mechanism, like you say, it's not just about, you know, rewarding someone for, you know, finishing the whole, the whole race, but it's for starting it as well. Yeah. Is there a way to take this too far? Like you mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> the analogy of like MLM and some of the marketing schemes and stuff like that. And we've seen it in the past with affiliate marketing. It's kind of gotten a bad rep for, you know, sometimes uh, enabling and kind of like incentivizing kind of spammy behavior online. 
is there a way to take this this kind of like referral system too far? I mean, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there is, and it's definitely uh, one of the challenges for, you know, building a program like this. Um, you know, one of the challenges is just sort of controlling the messaging, you know, about the product and the brand. Like once you sort of uh, release, once you release an affiliate program into the wild, you know, you are subjecting yourself to the pitches of, you know, potentially millions of users that, you know, don't understand your product well, or have a different story about your product than you necessarily want to get out there. Um, you know, so providing sort of guidance and material to help set the narrative, uh, for your affiliate community is really important. Um, but you know, there's no way to get around the downsides completely. And, um, you know, honestly, at this point, the entire thing is an experiment. You know, we are casting a lot of broad nets into the market with a set of broadly usable and applicable tools. And, you know, whichever ones catch users and that users tend to like, um, you know, we're going to invest more in. But I will tell you that, you know, the, the Vita Partners program has been something that is very, very interesting to the streamers and the creators that, that we talk to because, it's a way for them to generate recurring revenue from an audience. And the audience doesn't pay anything for this. They don't pay anything extra for it. It's not any extra drag on them. All they're doing is interacting with the creator in ways that they normally would. Um, and that's really important. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard for Lightning Network infrastructure. Creating layer two applications and services on top of Bitcoin starts with Voltage, where you can spin up nodes, get access to liquidity, optimize your node, and much more. Voltage is leading the way as the next generation provider of Lightning Network infrastructure. And if you want to get a free trial and start using Voltage today, you can do so at voltage.cloud. Now, so far, you've got a bunch of different products. We've talked a few, about a few of them. Um, are there any particular ones that you've seen a lot of adoption with so far or a lot of traction on? Um, I know you guys used to have a dashboard on the, the first version of Vita before your latest redesign. And I believe it, at one point I saw there was like 8 million sats that had been sent through the platform. Uh, the number's probably higher now, but uh, wh wh where's that money coming from? Like, What are those products that are really getting adoption today? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the vast majority of SATs paid on the network so far have been uh, for messages, for paid messages. Um, you know, second would be live streams and a distant third would be paid audio and video calls. Um, you know, there's a number of things that we're doing to sort of adjust the experience for paid audio and video calls to sort of, uh, you know, see if we can find some better product market fit with those things. But you know, the network's growing. We've got thousands of people from all over the world that have signed up to, you know, for our free, completely free link page product that does everything that, you know, Linktree does, um, except it has built-in monetization tools that anyone can benefit from. So, you know, we're, we're definitely growing. Um, you know, another, another thing that's gaining a lot of traction are these, um, these stream overlay tools that we've been testing privately so far with creators but we're very very excited about those things because as we discussed you know it's, it's the same messaging flow it's just your you know your message is delivered in a slightly different medium um so yeah i mean you know there's been tens of millions of sats sent on the network and 
you know, uh, the only direction is up. <laughs> Love it. Um, let's, let's dig into your experience so far in building on lightning specifically, um, for any developers out there listening or for people who have been, you know, interested in, in building new products on lightning, what has your experience been like? Cause you, you have built products in, in a past life outside of lightning. How does that relate to, to the challenges you're seeing today in building on lightning? Yeah. Um, well, you know, the simple parts of lightning are kind of magical. I mean, you know, the first time you build an application that can request and, you know, pay an invoice programmatically and value is just instantly zapped across the internet. I mean, that is, that, that is kind of a mind blowing thing. Um, you know, it's, it's instantly zapped across the internet. There's nobody that had to approve an application. You know, you, you spin up a lightning node, you get one channel in and you can accept payments from hundred million cash app users. I mean, that is an incredible innovation. Um, and it's one that, you know, thousands of lightning developers are going to continue to build on, um, you know, going forward, but you know, there are definitely still challenges, um, you know, with building products on top of the lightning network that people want to use. Um, you know, my, my opinion is that, you know, we need more ways to facilitate applications to connect and use your node. Um, you know, that's relatively easy today or, you know, somewhat easy today on the receiving side because we have things like Vault 12 and things like LNURL, but it's really, really hard on the spending side. And unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, the ideas for applications, like, for example, Fountain, you know, um, that stream SaaS, you know, they need to be able to spend, right? They need programmatic access to spend from a user's node or wallet directly. Um, unfortunately, as Lightning is designed, you know, every, every time you spend, you have to sign, you know, uh, a transaction. And there's not a lot of good ways to give an application like, like Vita um, access to spend from your wallet with limits, you know, with limitations such as you, this app can only spend, you know, $50 a month and anything more than that, you know, is not allowed. Right. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, ways to get around that, like account-based macaroons. Um, you know, there's, you know, ideas that you can generate a macaroon, which is essentially, a, you know, a key to access and spend from your node if it had these limits, but nothing is really, you know, widely deployed or available out there. That's one of the reasons why we are using Ellen Bits uh, as our sort of uh, path to do that today, because it's a service that you can run alongside your node. You can put a limited balance in an account that, that we have access to spend from, um, but we can't access anything more than what is in that, you know, that wallet specifically given to us uh, to use on your behalf on Vita. So that's like one of the biggest challenges out there. I feel like, you, you know, I mean, I would say we desperately need a solution for it um, because every other person building an application on the Lightning Network using the Lightning Network is going to encounter the same problem. Right. And so for today, the, the only solutions available now are you have to use a, a custodian or some kind of uh, third party to set a limit. And then you talk to that third party rather than talking to the node. Um, you mentioned a couple possible solutions uh, people were thinking about. 
if you were in charge of solving this problem, or if you could unilaterally make this decision on how to, how to make this functionality available for lightning nodes, what would your thought process be? How would you, how would you approach that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a difficult problem, which is why, you know, there's not a, a widely deployed solution. Uh, but I think I would go the route with the account-based macaroons where node implementations need to have an accounting system built in, you know, that is standard with every nodes where you can generate a macaroon or, or essentially an API key that, you know, has these spending limits or whatever limits you, you know, envision. You know, you could even have, you know, time-based limits where you can only make you know, one spending request an hour, you know, or something like that, whatever limits the application needs, you should be able to sort of ask the user to generate a, uh, an access macaroon with those limits in place, and then have the user be able to safely give it to the service in order to, you know, spend from those according to those limits that you set. Uh, there's other problems with that, such as accessibility to the node itself. Um, you know, so, for example, you know, maybe you're running Raspberry Pi in your house and, you know, um, <clears throat> you're, you're behind a NAT, you know, you're behind a router in your home. And it's kind of hard to have reliable access from, you know, a, a third party application like Vita, you know, to that uh, without using something like Tor, which is unreliable in and of itself. So, you know, there's other things to solve. Uh, there's other pieces of the puzzle, but that would be generally how I would approach it. Um you know, running some software alongside your node, um, you know, is, like LNBits, which is awesome, you know, is cool. But, um, you know, it's it's going to have the same adoption hurdles as every other software. So that's why I think it, it needs to be sort of a core part of the underlying Lightning Node implementations if we want users to use services like this non-custodially. And until we have that, my opinion is that we're not going to see a lot of non-custodial uh, applications being built. Do you think it's realistic to expect this non-custodial option um, to be like the hub for most users that that play around with different Lightning apps? Like, and when I mean the hub, I'm thinking like of uh, you know receiving payments all to this one node in this one wallet. That's like it's cohesive. It's everyone knows like here's all the funds that I got for today from my 15 different apps. Um, and then also for accounting uh, and keeping track of like how much you're earning. Like that's, I feel like an important thing that I've started to experience very recently with, with creating and lightning content and all this value for value stuff. Um, but still probably isn't a big issue for a lot of people experimenting and earning 10 sats here and there for, for playing a game or something like that. Um, do, do you think it's realistic, I guess, to expect that node to offer this solution for everyone? Because it still seems to be a pretty technical. Uh, you yeah, know, I mean, I think I think it's realistic, but we have a lot of work to do, right? Um, like if you if you are gating use of your application for only you know users that have nodes like this your application is not going to get used, you know, unfortunately, at least not widely used. Right. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a story about offering users options, offering them products and services that they want and can use out of the box immediately, and then showing them why they should take the extra step 
to use it in this other way, non-custodially. I mean, you know, maybe one incentive like that is KYC. So for example, you know, if you touch user funds, unfortunately, in the United States, you're pretty much forced to eventually implement KYC, you know, restrictions. Well, you know, we don't want to have to do that for everyone if they don't want us to. And part of the big problems, you know, today is that you're forced to spew your information across a hundred, you know, different products and services that transfer value. That's not ideal. Like it would be better if you could trust, you know, a single entity or your own node, uh, you know, with your information rather than having to give it to us again, you know, as yet another one to, 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 to give your information to. So I think it's about giving users options to onboard, you know, in a, in an easy way so that they can understand how they're going to get value from these products and services that are being built and then holding their hand to take the next step to say, Oh, you know, you don't want to give us your information. There's an easy option. You can just connect to your Swan account or you can connect to your own node at home if you're already running these things. And hopefully over time, you know, we're creating better software and better capabilities for people to more easily run and connect a node. But, you know, it's going to be a hard slog and, you know, expecting it to just sort of happen is a mistake because, you know, again, if you build it, they will come is a lie, right? You have to, you, you have to show people why it's better to do it this way. And that's true for Lightning and Bitcoin, you know, just like everything else in the world. What are your thoughts on login with Lightning? And this is a feature I've seen deployed with a few different apps in the space. Um, I think Stacker News has it. LN Markets has it. I think there's a few others. Um, Is this going to be a standard you think that everyone's going to adopt? And and kind of to your point about like having to fill in information constantly on every single app you use, does it make sense for the node to be the tool that people use to log into different apps? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it does in in a lot of ways, especially if it's like a node first, you know, product, um, you know, where, um, like Ellen markets is a good example, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it runs specifically in interfaces with your node and that's basically all it does. Right. I think it's a great option for things like that, but it's a poor option if you're trying to build a product that anyone in the world can use to understand why, Lightning's real-time settlement capabilities are important, right, and, and, and useful, right? So I, I'm a little bit skeptical that ton, that it's going to become a standard anytime soon, um, mainly because, like, the, the benefits don't really outweigh the cost unless you're just really, really privacy-focused and don't want any other information about the user other than a pub key to send money to, you know, essentially. Um, you know, I think that signing in with email uh, – accomplishes a lot of the same things you know you can sign in with an email address without providing any extra information and it's a you know it's a ux flow that people are used to and that doesn't require a user to have a node running so like i'm a fan of it and you know i want it to succeed in the long term but you know building products is about accepting reality and um you know doing what your users you know are willing to do and and helping them do those things rather than you know, uh, forcing new patterns on them that they don't necessarily understand. So, um, you know, as a, as a lightning geek, I love it as a product I'm trying to build to introduce a billion people to Bitcoin. It's difficult. Yeah. 
Now, having, having built products before Bitcoin as well and building Vita now, uh, is there any other product advice you can share with Lightning builders tuning in uh, today? Like if you're, if you're building a product, what, what do people misunderstand about Lightning today? What do people uh, under-indexing on? Um, yeah, just any, any piece of advice for builders? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, it would help if we were all a little more realistic about what new users are willing to do, right? Like building products is about showing, not telling and not, and definitely not forcing, right? So it's hard enough to catch lightning in a bottle with a consumer, you know, app or product and, and generate use. Any additional hurdle or barrier you add is going to essentially pre-filter, you know, your potential user base. So, you know, we have to, I mean, in my opinion, if we want to create broadly accessible and broadly used products and services, we have to, you know, help users onboard and join and then show them the benefits of using Lightning natively and show them the benefits of real-time settlement, you know, and then let them choose, you know, to, to reap those benefits. Um, you know, for example, with creators, you know, we need those creators asking users to fund their balances with Cash App so that they get their money instantly versus other platforms like, you know, I don't know, Cameo or something like that, where you have to wait because of debt money and credit card fraud. You know, um, it's we, we have to help users understand the value of Bitcoin and reap the benefits of Bitcoin. And we can't, you know, create gates that they have to, you know, step through in order to see those because it just simply doesn't work. You know, people don't want to do that. Um, and that's just reality. Right. Um, specifically on the creator side of things, uh, are you seeing any creators that are starting to, um, you know, outperform web two platforms in their earnings on Vita? Yeah, you know, we're seeing the first signs of that. You know, it's still pretty early, but I would say that's probably the, you know, number one data point, you know, we're trying to track and prove. You know, we want to, you know, we want to be able to drill into the, the number of, okay, if you are a Twitch streamer with this size of audience and you use this tool, you know, you're going to, you know, on average generate X, you know, revenue from your audience. Um, that's super useful for us to, you know, pitch our product to creators, but it's also super useful for us to, you know, know if we've properly identified product market fit, you know, um, in, in while building our, our startup, right? So, um, you know, yeah, it's the beginning. You know, we have, we have early signs that um, it is outperforming, but, you know, we have a lot more work to do. Is that going to be the, the the focal point then, do you think, for, for a lot of people considering switching over to something like Vita or any of the Lightning apps? Like, how much can I earn? Or, like, are there other benefits that you could use to convince someone to join Vita um, if you don't outperform their, you know, earnings on, let's say, Twitch or YouTube or whatever platform they're using? You know, I, I think the, you know, <laughs> the, the best strategy is to not compete with those existing tools that they're using, but to provide additional monetization tools that, you know, in, expand their pie versus compete with, you know, existing sources of revenue that they have. 
So that's our, you know, focus and intent and goal, right? Um, people that are Twitch streamers that are earning uh, from, you know, Twitch gif- gifts is what they call them. You know, um, we're not going to prevent you from doing that. We're going to provide new tools that help you monetize your audience in a new way, um, you know, that expands your revenue pie. So, you know, um, that, you know, that's our strategy, uh, you know, adding again, adding barriers and gates, you know, is a losing game. You know, you have to expand the pie for these creators and, and for the users as well by, you know, enabling new experiences that weren't otherwise possible before. You know, we, we are, you know, in our Vita product, Vita.page, where you, you, know, you have a link page and you're supposed to stream stuff is all built in. Like we have an idea of what uh, nets are going to catch users and capture value, but you know we're not going to come up with all of them, and that's why we're also you know uh, openly offering these services over networks and APIs in the future as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're kind of like building on top of the earnings they're already getting from Twitch or YouTube or whatever platform, and just offering, hey, here's here's more money. You know, you don't have to get rid of your first income source. Um, here's just another layer. And I think that was something that was pretty smart about the the podcasting 2.0 movement. And I think that that got a lot of momentum because of that is like, Absolutely. I, I share these videos on YouTube and I share them on podcasts. It's like, you know, it, I don't have to, you know, turn off YouTube in order to accept uh, value for value payments. And, you know, over time, as I've, I've learned, there have been many months where podcasting 2.0 revenue has now outpaced YouTube revenue. Um, so it's it's cool to see that you know I it can outpace, but it doesn't have to uh, eliminate the revenue generated by uh, another platform. Um, Absolutely, I mean you know creators need they need new tools. Um, you know the creator economy is is growing; it's not going to stop growing. Um, they need new monetization tools that you know help them monetize in new ways. Um, in a way, that's kind of what our that's the whole point behind our our link page. Your beta page is just your link page now after you do a show hey have questions about this hit up my link page send me a message now or give me a call it's a simple thing that's applicable to anybody on the internet you know any creator can use it it's totally free all it does is expand the monetization pie for you Mm -hmm. now just a minute ago you mentioned uh the topic of capturing value and and, you know building vita and, and eventually getting to the point where you can capture enough value to be a sustainable business um how do you approach that in on the Lightning Network where we've, we've discussed this like potential outcome where everyone's on their own node and Vita may not be even in the middle of these payments? Um, how, do you, how do you think about capturing value in that future? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, we, we're providing network level software services, right? Like if, you're, if, if me and you have our own nodes connected to Vita, um, you know, the payments that we send each other are going to go directly to one another. But Vita also has a network fee rate, which again, currently goes completely into the rewards program. Um, and that is a second payment that happens from the sender. So whoever is sending the communication or making the call or sending the message, that second network fee goes to Vita and, you know, gets dispersed along the rewards payment. So that's a mechanism that will work just fine in you know any future, uh, whether users are connecting to our service, um, you know with their own nodes or with an open node account. 
Um, I do think that like the fee level, you know, will, will change over time, you know, as the market gets more competitive and as the types of network fees, you know, change and grow. In fact, um, you know, we're even thinking about, uh, you know, lowering the network fee to something super low, like 1% and letting people with notes voluntarily contribute to the rewards program, you know, so they're not paying for that if they don't want to. Uh, but you know, that's what the world looks like for me. You know, we want users paying us for the value that our network services are providing, that our live streaming, you know, our real-time paid live streaming engine is providing, that our paid messaging API is providing, that our paid video calls are providing. You know, these are services that require infrastructure that we're running in order to facilitate. And, um, you know, we're selling that as software, just like anything else. Now, the I think you mentioned at the beginning the... Um... Uh, the SIP feature, like if, if someone can uh, make a call from outside of Vita, are you still earning on that transaction? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as long the, as essentially, um, and we, you know, we haven't released the specs on the SIP 402 payment required protocol, but essentially in the signaling between the two parties that are, you know, communicating, we send a message that says, hey, you know, it's time to pay the end party. And, you know, that contains an invoice and, Whatever your you know node is or server that is facilitating that on the other side has to pay it, and then there's a network fee invoice that gets you know sent as well. And you know if your if your communication is being handled by uh, you know a network level service in, in the middle, then that service can clearly you know cut off the communication if you know you're not paying the network level fee. But essentially, it works exactly the same. And again, the reason why we've designed it that way is so that we don't have to sit in the middle of payments offered between two peers. We're just charging for network level services. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So, so let's say, um, as an example, if uh, Twitter wanted to offer a uh, paid you know, audio video experience to their users, someone could send a uh, audio message through from Twitter to Vita, to a Vita user, like a Twitter user could, could uh, send a, audio call to a Vita user and Vita would earn for the network level kind of service they provide. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a, you know, just like paying for any other API service. It's just sort of built into the negotiation of the communication protocol, if that makes sense. Um, you know, we haven't really talked much about this, but you know, I, I think there's a big opportunity for Vita in the future in the global telecom you know, world. Uh, telecom fraud and telecom settlement is a massive, massive, multi-billion dollar a year you know, industry. And right now it relies on tons of trust and tons of middlemen that trust each other. Uh, the problem is that you know, sending calls uh, to like traditional phone numbers actually costs somebody money <laughs> you know, behind yeah. the scenes, right? So that's why it's, it's ripe for fraud because you know, people are paid to actually send traffic you know, to these high cost destinations and the networks are really scared of being, of that being abused. So they're really restrictive about you know, who they actually let interconnect and, you know, well, whether they trust you to pay them and things like that. Well, real-time settlement protocols eliminate that entire, you know, risk spectrum. If you can guarantee that any, you know, minute of communication that is routed is getting paid for, like you, you know, for sure, then you eliminate all of that risk. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're building this in to a protocol like SIP that's already used by every telecommunications company in the world. 
Now, is there a trust component still on Vita though? Like, do I have to trust that Vita uh, will, you know, honor the the the, pay the payment and the message that's going through? If I'm if I'm coming from outside of Vita and sending a message or a payment through Vita, um, there is still some centralization risk there, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Vita is sitting in the middle in this case, you know, of the, the communication that's being delivered from one party to another. They're not sitting in the middle of the payment that is happening between, you know, the two parties. Um, you know, uh, are there going to be, you know, completely peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, ways to facilitate, you know, messaging and audio and video? Absolutely, there there will be. Um, you know, uh, there there are today. You know, there's tons of uh, impervious guys are doing some really cool stuff. The Keep.io guys are doing some really cool stuff. You know, I'm a huge fan. But peer-to-peer -peer communication has inherent problems with scalability and with discovery and you know all of the things that you know we we know that it has problems with. And you know, there's still a place in the market for a network level provider uh, that facilitates things like live streams, which requires, you know, someone to facilitate the, the, the multicasting, you know, nature of a live stream. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there, there are some use cases that require a server, you know, to be in the middle and, you know, we're going to facilitate those use cases and open them up to APIs. And does that mean that, you know, people have to have some level of trust in us? Absolutely. And we take that, you know, very serious. Right. Okay. So in the context of the telecom industry, the, the, the current situation now is that you have to trust uh, payments are going through and trust people to send messages through. And now it's, you don't have to trust that payments are going through. Is that, do I have that? Oh, uh, I, I guess, uh, I guess I kind of misunderstood your question. Like in the, in the scenario that I'm describing, um, you know, we would license software to these telecom, uh, you know, giants that currently you know, have all these intermediaries and essentially let them run the same software that we run, you know, to facilitate these, you know, these payments behind the scenes, except they would be able to do it in their own networks. So we wouldn't have to sit, you know, in the middle of that actual, um, you know, uh, communication flow, any different, you know, we, we wouldn't add a new middleman in the communication flow that didn't exist today. We would be removing the six in between, if that makes sense. I see. Okay. So in that sense, it'd be much more like a licensing fee. Some other telecom provider pays to Vita for the software and then they get to do with it what they please. Yeah. And, you know, if they, if they want to use our network, um, you know, just plug in, they can, but it's, you know, I don't think that will be a requirement over the long term. You know, now how, <laughs> again, that's one of those 3000 step things and we're on like, you know, step six. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, I want to get a better understanding for how important interoperability is for Vita. And maybe one way we can, we can discuss that is through the context of telecom networks today. Um, I don't know much about their interoperability. I, I understand that there are many participants, but how, how do all those participants work with one another? Are they operating on a single standard? Are there multiple standards? And then... Can can lightning be this like unifying force that you know gets everyone on the same level playing field? Yeah, um, you know the the telecom landscape is a lot like the sort of broader internet landscape. You know, like every website that uh, you encounter is served over HTTP. Um, you know, or at least some variation of that. 
And it's very similar in the global telecommunications landscape. The, the main program for, uh, protocol for, you know, um, brokering audio and video communications is SIP, which we've talked about a, a few times on this call. SIP is a protocol that's very much like HTTP, except it's for uh, facilitating, you know, calls and, and messages. Um, you know, so that's one of the reasons why we built it into our core platform. I mean, Vita is compatible with every tele- telecommunications network in the world today. You know, are we specifically targeting, you know, that market right now? No, you know, we're, we're doing some showing, uh, you know, on, on what is possible before we target them. But um, it's totally applicable um, and, and easily integratable, you know, with those existing networks. And I think that's important because it also plays into, you know, our vision for opening up these services via APIs. Um, you know, we don't want Vita, the Vita website and the Vita mobile app to be the only way to interact with the Vita network. We want to be able to let anybody, you know, build an application that can, you know, send and receive audio and video and streams over the Vita network. And that requires us to integrate with open and accessible protocols that, you know, there are other um, standard libraries for interacting with. So, for example, uh, the, you know, audio and video calls on the Vita website use a library called sip.js, which is anybody could use. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty simple and, you know, behind the scenes that sip.js client is registering with your Vita API credentials and you could literally today go build a sip.js app that registered with your Vita API credentials and make calls from your own, you know, webpage. So it's important that we are not the only, uh, ones able to provide clients to interact with the network. You know, a somebody should be able to interact with the network from a soft phone or from some software they've written or from, you know, another telecommunications network or whatever. If we're going to achieve our vision of not just being a walled garden, but providing a new way, you know, showing the world how real-time settlement can power communications, we have to do it like this. Mm, I see. So it's very much building on top of this SIP protocol that already exists. It's already widely adopted, kind of like the, you know, the discussion that happens often with uh, lightning on the web or uh, a new lightning web. Uh, you know, the discussion is like, do we build on HTTP? Do we build on these protocols we already have? Or do we try and rework the web to be built on lightning? And I, I guess your your view here, if I'm understanding correctly, is like the... Uh, the, the approach you're taking is to build on the protocols that already exist rather than redesign. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of the obvious thing to do. Like, you know, protocols have inherent, you know, weight, you know, to them in, in the market. You know, it's like the same argument that, you know, Bitcoiners make about how, you know, TCP IP, you know, there's not two TCP IPs, right? <laughs> there's, there's one protocol that does one thing really well. And then people build, you know, applications and products and businesses on those protocols. And, you know, there's not a lot of incentive for anyone to switch from them. And so, you know, I personally see a world where, um, you know, the, the benefits of the lightning network, it's real time settlement capabilities, which literally did not previously exist. The people are using the lightning network for that specifically and that that gets integrated into tons of, you know, other 
protocols. And, you know, what Vita is doing is showing the world specifically how that can be done for real-time communications. And we're going to provide the tools to make it easy for other people to do that as well. So, um, you know, I mean, if I had to sort of hope about the future, I would say, yeah, eventually every minute of communication, you know, between uh, wholesale carriers and people in the communications business, if it's a cross network, in other words, if it, if it moves from one network to another, that that is settled via the Lightning Network. And I think it's totally possible. And I think Lightning is the only thing that can do it. And that's why it's going to do it. But, you know, you can't just jump into that existence. You know, you can't even build a product for that existence yet. You have to show the people that are already working in that industry and running those businesses why it's better to do it like this. You have to build tools. You have to build a network. You have to show and not tell. And that's what we're trying to do. Love to see it. Um, I want to finish this off with a segment I do at the end of every show called the lightning round. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready for the lightning round? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all ready. right. First one. First question. Is there any book that has meaningfully changed your view of the world? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, as a Bitcoiner, I guess I have to say, you know, the Bitcoin standard, um, you know, read that way back when, but, you know, definitely changed my view of the world and, you know, helped me understand how important Bitcoin really was, you know, beyond, you know, a speculative, you know, asset. Um, so I, you know, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll pick that one. I mean, you know, I hesitate to say, but, uh, you know, I do like a couple of Taleb's books. <laughs> um, you know, fooled by randomness is one of my favorites. I think that, you know, people get really confused in their lives about what is random and, and what, you know, happened with intent and, you can't really learn to harness your own sort of intent and, you know, a decisive action to change the world without understanding, you know, how randomness influences that. So I guess maybe that would be one of my others. I like it. Um, if you could change one thing about Bitcoin, what would you change? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the reason why I'm saying I don't know is because I know that the reason why Bitcoin exists the way it does is because of trade-offs, you know, very real trade-offs. Um, you know, that you can't wave a magic wand and, you know, make a layer one blockchain scale to the global settlement needs of the world, right? It doesn't work like that. Um, so I'm going to say, you know, there's not really anything specific that I would change about Bitcoin. I wish that I had a magic ball to be able to understand which uh, features, if added to Bitcoin, would not uh, impact incentives in a negative way. The problem with changing Bitcoin is that it's impossible to forecast how it affects, you know, the incentives of participants in the future. That's why... Bitcoin is so conservative. That's why, you know, we don't have covenants today, uh, which, you know, might be nice. And, you know, I could totally see this being beneficial, but 
you know, I, I understand why Bitcoin is the way it is. And if it were easy to change, then it wouldn't be Bitcoin. I like that answer. Um, if you could only hold one asset for the next decade and it could not be Bitcoin, which asset would you pick? Mm, one asset and it could not be Bitcoin. Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> I, you know, I'm the type of person that like, I don't like holding baskets of random stuff. Like I'm not a, um, you know, a stock portfolio person. You know, I think that like this, the whole concept of passive investing is, is kind of a scam and, and, and a lie. And that if you don't understand, you know, why you own something and, and why it's worth owning for a long term, then, you know, you, you, you probably shouldn't own it. Um, so I guess if I really had to pick something, I would say, I don't know, you know, maybe a business, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is evidenced by, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing now, you know, I'm, I'm building a, another business because it's something that, you know, I can intimately understand and I can grow myself. And it's something that benefits myself and the people around me that, you know, participate in the vision of the business. So that's my answer. I like it. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, where can listeners go to learn more about you and Vita? Uh, my Vita page, vita.page slash Lyle Pratt is the best way to learn about me and to get in contact me uh, with me. If you have any questions, you know, about this podcast, you know, hit me up on my page. Um, you know, if you're a Bitcoiner and you don't have a Vita page, what are you even doing? You should. Um, you know, or you can just hit me up on Twitter too. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again for taking the time. Hope we can do it again soon. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Appreciate it. It was awesome. Had a great time. All right. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 19,499 sats. That came in from 135 different supporters. Huge shout out to everyone sending in sats. Let's go through the top five supporters of the week. First, we have an anonymous user from Breeze who sent in 7,878 sats. Mary Oscar sent in 2,072. Stemr42 sent in 1,638. Odium sent in 1,305. And Sam Samskis sent in 530 sats. We had a bunch of questions as well uh, and comments. First is uh, from an anonymous user who says, nice. Another says, good listen. Another says good, all in response to episode 67 with Edge on uh, Lightning Network advertising in the creator economy on a Bitcoin standard. Um, and one says great episode, especially the part about getting a profitable Lightning node in response to episode 66 with Danny D. Kroger on Cash App LDK and operating the DZLN node. Uh, Coast of Maine sent in 5,133 sats from Breeze. Uh, it says Kevin's questions and Joe's insights at minute 58 of episode 64 are so helpful and tactical. Thank you. There you go. Episode 64 with Joe Consorti. Uh, tune, into, tune into minute 58. Uh, thank you, Coast of Maine, for the, the major boost and the comment. Uh, GUI... Y-E Zix says, follow Kevin on all social media. He has the best content. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's kind words uh, in response to episode 67 
with Edge. Uh, this is the future says love it. Straight shooter says great show. Coca says gracias dinero. Uh, Real Dave Lennox says V4V in response to episode 67. Uh, TACE says uh, two smiley face emojis and boosted 25 sats in response to episode 67. Uh, Borsingalaber says excellent episode. Greetings, Thomas. Uh, in response to episode 66, IRFan369 says, great episode to learn about opening channels for episode 66 as well. D-E-R-T-I-Z-E says, Brave Browser is going in that direction. Talking about uh, uh, BAT rewards. It says, unfortunately, they're using BAT instead of BTC for rewarding users for watching ads. Um, I think Brave's gone a little too far in that direction to change their mind at this point. I'd love to be proven wrong, but it feels like it's an opportunity for someone else to come up with a, a Bitcoin native browser, uh, interested to see what the impervious guys are building. And there's a few other projects that I think are uh, focusing on that, that same vertical. Uh, Bot is late, says awesome as usual. And that is all for the uh, comments and questions for the last week. Thank you again to everyone supporting the show. It means a lot to me. Uh, and I cannot wait to see what you guys send in this week.